0: Hey, folks, Dr. Tim Jordan back with you here with another new episode of Raising Daughters. I sure appreciate you stopping by every week to listen to these podcasts. And I I sometimes talk about certain topics that have to do with girls, raising daughters. I I interview kids. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, I interviewed some high school seniors talking about the lingering effects of COVID. So I have lots of different kinds of formats. But today I'm going back to uh, interviewing an author, which I love to do. And I read this book. I've actually read, this is, we're in July. I've actually read 27 books this year so far. And of all those books, this book was my favorite. And I'm not just saying that because the author is staring at me across the screen. It was my very favorite. Um, The author's name is Elizabeth Lesser. And the name of the book is Cassandra Speaks. So Elizabeth, thank you so much for for being on uh, Raising Daughters.
1: Thank you. That's an amazing thing out of 27 books. I'm honored. Thank you.
0: The whole title of the book, Cassandra Speaks, is When Women Are the Storytellers, the Human Story Changes. And I thought that was interesting because you you said somewhere in there, there's a quote that history isn't what happened, it's who tells the story. And so for most of our history, slash all of our history, men have told the story. I'm I'm curious about... um, uh, two things i want to ask you about uh, the title of the book but first first i want to ask you what's been the cost to us us as a as a world and also uh, uh, us as i'm mean, not a woman but you as a woman women what's been the cost
1: hmm. the cost has been great and if you think about it um you can't i mean if you really think about it you can't but agree that if more than half the people in the world um, have been left out of telling our guiding stories, and by guiding stories, I mean religious stories, which throughout history have set our behavior modes and our morals and who gets to do what in the world. And then our historical stories, the stories through history we, we decide are the ones worth telling, you know, what's a hero? What's important? What dates do we teach kids in school that these are the important dates? If women haven't been part of that storytelling and deciding process, there's um, a a sense as a little girl and a woman and a boy and a man that women's stories aren't as important. They're kind of like, um, you know, Fluffy, you know, like the way we we say, that's a that's a chick flick, that's a beach read for girls, you know, anything yeah. that I'm not saying all girls are interested in the same kind of stories and all boys. But there is something core to women that if we had been telling the story about heroism and history, uh, we would have focused on some different things. And together, it would have been a human story instead of a his story, history.
0: Yeah, and, it, and that's, that carries through for things like fairy tales, mythology. And I think the, the title of your book, Cassandra Speaks, comes from a mythological, if that's the right word, story.
1: Can you tell yeah. us about,
0: about the title?
1: Yes. Well, I'd been writing the book for a while. I've been very interested in this idea of history isn't what happened, it's who tells the story and how that has affected women. And of course, as you said, I've been reading a lot of mythological texts, you know, whether it's the Greeks or the Romans or indigenous stories, and just noticing over and over how the men are the heroes and the women are sort of like the second uh, supporting characters or the put-upon characters and i was watching um television one night i don't know if you remember the um trial of the girls athletic coach uh, dr larry nasser who had been accused by hundreds of girls of abusing them as their doctor and he was taking care of some of the most famous young Uh, female athletes, mostly the gymnastics team, Simone Biles, people like that. And he had been systematically sexually molesting hundreds of girls over 30 years of practicing. The girls had gone to their mothers, to their coaches, to the school administrators, all the way up to the Olympic committee and said, this is happening. But no one believed the girls. So it just kept going on. So I was watching that trial one night and it remi- I'm like, what is this reminding me of? And I had been reading that day, the Greek myth of Cassandra, Cassandra. Mm-hmm. Now you have to remember myths are not real because this is a story about a God and gods and goddesses. And so these were made up stories. And of course, Greek stories were written by men. And so Cassandra was a princess, uh, And of Troy, and this was, of course, we know about the Trojan War. It was around that time, and all the men, including gods, wanted to marry her, wanted to be with her. But she didn't want to get married. She didn't want any of that. She wanted to serve the goddess Athena, go to a temple. You know that would be like she wanted to become a nun, but (laughs) the
0: head head um, nun. (laughs) She wanted to become
1: the head nun, and the. The men suitors and her father kept like, yeah, you should marry this one, this one. And finally, Zeus, king of all the gods, wanted her. And Apollo, Zeus's son, wanted to be with her. And he wooed her, Apollo did. He said, Cassandra, if you be with me, I will give you the gift of being clairvoyant. You'll be able to see into the future and then warn all the people what's gonna happen. And you'll, you'll change history that way and she was like cool I want that I want that and he neglected to say that if I give you it I'll immediately have sex with you so he gives her the gift she's beginning to see into the future and then he tries to have sex with her and he she refuses him because she was a kind of badass princess and he um says okay I'm going to punish you. I'm not going to take away your ability to see into the future. You're going to see it. You're going to tell everyone, but no one will believe you. So that's the moral of the story of Cassandra. She saw the future. She saw the Trojan War. She warned her parents. She warned the leaders don't go. Don't try to fight that war. It'll be the end of the city. They didn't believe her, they thought she was crazy, they locked her up saying she was crazy. So when I was watching that trial of the girls and Dr. Larry Nasser, and those girls were saying, I told the truth, they didn't believe me, they thought I was crazy. I thought to myself, you know, so many of us have felt this in our life as girls. We tell the truth and we're told we're whining, we're making it up, we're dramatic, it must be our period, we're hormonal. But actually, so much of the time, we're just telling what we know to be true. That's why I chose the title, Cassandra Speaks, because women and girls are starting to speak more and to demand, like the girls in that trial. A uh, hundred of them told their story in that trial, and when Simone Biles got up there and started telling what happened to her, and the whole world, including the judge, listened. I thought that's going to change. People are going to start listening to the wisdom that girls and women have.
0: Yeah, and if, if you um, even today, when girls speak their truth, uh, even in that trial, I, I read in your book. I'd never read that quote from Nasser um at when he at the sensing where he, where he said hell hath no bounds like a woman scorned so here's these women who are pouring their souls out and then it's all about being dramatic it's all about you're just angry you're just whatever so today girls still get that good girl conditioning uh, and they're still having to fight through it unfortunately
1: yeah uh you know things change slowly if you haven't noticed and <laughs> this has been like all of human history so it's going to take a while i'm actually so moved at how fast it seems to be going now there's always so much blowback when change happens we're seeing that in our country now big changes have happened and there's a lot of resistance to it so as you say we can't just assume oh it happened it's over it's not um but i do think a lot of good change has happened
0: yeah you know the other, another story that you you talk about in your book is the story of Eve like I guess that's the first story um according to at least the Bible but anyway um, and the Eve story is is also indicative of of I think an issue that is still popping up today. Tell us about that
1: yeah well in the Western tradition Eve is our first story right like yeah. in the beginning there was just God and he made a garden. And he put Adam in it, and everything was perfect. Adam had all the fruit, and the animals were friendly, and he just had full reign of this paradise. But as it says in the Bible, at some point, God determined that Adam needed a helpmate. I, I think God was getting tired of taking care of Adam, so yeah. he decided to make another being and it was a woman, and her name was Eve. And Eve was very curious. You know, curiosity is what drives creativity. Creativity in men, all curiosity has always been seen as like a very noble tradition. In women, it's like she's sneaky, she's not to be trusted. She's poking her nose where she shouldn't. And that's what happened with Eve. She, they, God told Adam and Eve there's a tree in the middle of the garden, and it has some fruit. Don't eat from that fruit unless you want to become wise like the gods. So don't eat from that tree. And Eve was curious, and she went to the tree, and there was a snake. And in the old biblical days, snakes were the carriers of wisdom. And the snake said to Eve, no, no, you can eat it. You can eat it. What God meant was you'll become as wise as the gods. And then you won't be like children anymore. And you'll have to grow up. And so she thought, cool, I kind of would like that. And she fed it to Adam and to herself. And then all hell broke loose. God was so angry. He banished them from the garden. And um, as the Bible says, after that, men knew had to toil and make a living, and women knew the pain of childbirth, pretty much everything, even death, came from Eve's poor choice to follow her curiosity. Now, there are so many um, stories in the Bible of our our Bible heroes, from um, Job to Moses to Jesus himself, who break the rules do something new, because their curiosity for the next step of evolution of mankind drives them. And these are our heroes. But the only one who gets punished for doing that is Eve. And I really think that so much of our attitudes toward men as heroes, and they're going forth and leaving the garden of childhood and growing up is honored, but Eve's isn't. And and I often look at Eve as like the Bible's first grown-up. She decided to leave the garden of childhood. Now, I know a lot of biblical scholars would severely disagree with me, (laughs) but I I just feel poor Eve and poor us women and men, we all suffer from the old stories.
0: Yeah, and you know that... You mentioned in the book too. I've I've read a lot of books about the hero's journey or the heroine's journey, and and in a sense, Eve was our first hero's slash heroine's journey, where she she wanted to grow, and so you know most in the heroine's journey, the hero's journey, there's a there's an up and a down, there's trials, there's tribulations, there's mistakes made, but in in the male stories, men get a chance to sort of figure it out and redeem themselves, and then they're glorified as heroes, but Eve is still thought of as a, you know as the negative and, and and thus women.
1: Yeah, like uh, second born first to sin. That's the rap, you know, yeah. the supporting character and uh, not a really good one.
0: <laughs> yeah. So because there's so many of those stories, and that's that's what has created our culture, it's created our belief systems about a lot of things. How can we how are we able to or how can we transcend those so we're not limited by them?
1: Well, um, that's what I spend most of the book talking about, like stories of people who are breaking free of them. For example, all those girls who told their truth and took so much courage to tell their yeah. truth. And another thing is just to really pay attention to the stories we have accepted as well that's just the way humans are and and kind of poking around a little bit there's a story I recently came across I don't think it's in the book um it's not it's so interesting it's not a Bible story it's not a Greek myth it's a story in science where um early on in in uh, psychological lab work at Harvard University, I think it was like in the 1930s or 40s, uh, the head of psychiatric research at Harvard, Dr. Walter Cannon, decided. I wonder what is typical among humans when when they get stressed, when they're in conflict or in stressful chaotic situations. So he brought all these people into the lab, hundreds and hundreds of people, simulated stressful experiences, measured their hormone level, their blood level. He was the person who came up with the phrase, uh, fight or flight. Under stress, human beings either lash out aggressively and fight, or they flee, uh, literally flee, or they sort of just sort of detach so that's what we all have believed fight or flight that's what you do in the early 2000s a uh clinical psychologist at ucla uh Shelley taylor dr Shelley taylor took a look at the research she was interested in stress and she noticed something fascinating all the people that dr um dr harvard i'm forgetting his name now brought into the lab were men because in those days and up until quite recently mm. we only used men in either medical trials which is why that we've had a lot of problems with women in heart disease and cancer and things like that but also in the psychological trials and she was like i wonder what would happen if we replicated this with women in the lab so she brought in hundreds of women and replicated the stressful tests Um, that had been done only on the men. And she found such a fascinating thing. Sure, under stress, women sometimes have the fight, the aggression or the flee response, but they also have something she called tend and befriend. Under stress, women have an urge to tend to the most vulnerable in the community or to create circles of befriending, not to flee, but to say, hey, let's get together and talk about this. So imagine if all these years we had been telling ourselves and our kids, there's lots of ways that we can respond to stress. We can fight, we can flee. Sometimes that's necessary. We can also strengthen our compassion muscles, our communication capacity. We can talk things out before we actually have to go and fight. And and if we had been telling ourselves as, as, as a culture, as world cultures, there's four ways to deal with stress, not just fight or flight. We believed that story. We didn't look into it. So one way to deal with what you asked me, how to change the tide, is to poke at all the stories and ask, is this true? Is it only human nature that that uh, we put, let's say, our military budget top as opposed to our education budget? Like, is that true that all humans think that's the way it should be? Can we change our values? Can we change what rises to the top of our priorities? I do believe that training girls to trust their instincts and their hearts and to know that they're valid yeah your story your desires your way of communicating valid 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 and boys you know we say to parents and to girls you can be anything a boy can be we got to say to boys you can be anything a girl can be meaning if you think girls are chatty talkative they have more friends than you do they're a little more caring you can be that too in fact heroes be that
0: yeah have you read the book humankind
1: yes love that yeah. book
0: yeah so i think you're you're speaking sort of what i also read in that book it's been a year or two but but he talked about how in times of you know troubles like for instance in world war ii when london was being blitzkrieged. The Germans thought, if we just bomb the city for however many days it was, 50 days in a row, the people will get chaotic. They will turn themselves, will break their spirit, and then we'll be able to walk into London and take over. And what they found was the opposite. It brought people together. And there's so many other stories, as you read in that book, "Humankind," of examples of that. But, but again, we don't talk about those stories very much because because we, yeah. we value other things. So,
1: yeah, there's you know that negativity bias, which yeah. is baked into humans like, oh, a negative, scary, awful story. We're attracted to it because way back when it was, it was smart to focus on the negative because maybe that lion coming toward you was going to eat you. But developing our muscles to elevate the stories of loving kindness and make, like, I'd like to make loving kindness cool. It's cool to be warm-hearted and generous and a healer. Like, a healer is a is a superhero. Changing the superhero stories to me, because so many young people are attracted to them. You know, I remember when Wonder Woman came out, I was kind of disappointed, because all she did was like, look really sexy in a bustier and kick ass on the the back. Like Like a man. man. And some of that's fun. I'm all into the fun of that. But I think if a woman actually suddenly had all those superpowers, she'd probably make everybody sit down in a circle or at a table and say, can we talk this out, you idiots? Like, stop slicing each other up. What's the yeah. point of this? There's a terrible track record to aggression. Let's do something
0: different. In my last book that I wrote, She Leads, about raising girls to be leaders, one of the things I talked about, and you, and you talk about too in your book, is the fact that we, one of the things we could do, perhaps different, is just change the way we look at courage, leadership, power, because it's been a pretty masculine model. And so the people who do it that way, like I always had that vision of George Bush, President George Bush on the on the aircraft carrier saying mission accomplished in his fake army uniform. But um, I shouldn't say all oh, that. Probably I'm probably going to lose it, uh, listeners. But anyway, um, yeah, but I, but I that, think
1: if, if we have lots of examples,
0: <laughs> yeah. but we're trying to squish girls into the old masculine model and get them to change as opposed to saying, well, maybe we need to rethink the model.
1: I love that. How wonderful that you as an educator and a father and a man is saying that. I think it's so important. Thank you.
0: And I think you you speak to that in your book too, that we need to like you say that in our vernacular, in the way we just talk, we need to be mindful, even of the words we use. Yeah. Like there's so many words, war words, aggression words, sports words that we use as metaphors but they're all kind of that that old masculine things
1: yeah I, I I write in the book where I didn't experiment for myself like could I go a, a day without a war metaphor or a sports metaphor not that they're all horrible but they're so baked into our language you know you say things and you don't even know what they mean like that was a low blow I, I began to be like okay wait a second what's a low blow and then like <laughs> oh, it's a boxing thing. Like, I don't know anything about boxing and like take it to the mat and all the things we say. It's if we would start using metaphors like, you know, gardening metaphors or cooking metaphors and just kind of mix up the metaphors so that all of our language begins to represent all different ways of, of talking about power.
0: You know, it, it, you you might listen to this and say, well, what's wrong with saying a woman is a bombshell or or all of those kinds of things. But our words are important and the words we use reflect something, don't they?
1: They do. And you know, nobody likes a word police. And every, you know, sometimes trying to be too precious about it gets to be boring. But it's a fascinating uh little study to do yourself just to become aware it's just one way of uh, really bringing it home how much the old stories and language are baked with violence aggression and this idea of heroism as always involving some form of violence
0: yeah if i ask which i've done hundreds of times, a room full of, if I'm working at a school, a class of grade school, middle school, high school girls, or at my weekend retreats, my summer camp. So I ask them, who in our culture are the heroes? And they they always say the same things. First responders, soldiers, uh, top athletes. Those are the ones that police officers, firefighters, et cetera. And they, and they those people can be heroic. But you rarely hear them say, uh, a woman who's in the inner city teaching third graders, or you know someone who's doing service work or someone who is who has given their whole life to some some cause of to the people who are underprivileged we don't look at those people as quote-unquote heroes and so we don't value them and thus kids don't value them
1: right yeah And in the book i i talk about the kind of people you just mentioned nurses social workers um even the person who's bagging your grocery who's kind and nice i call them the first first responders
0: i love that
1: if a if a kindergarten teacher gets to the children early especially the children who are coming from difficult homes and have a lot of unprocessed stuff in them and and helps them value themselves and love themselves and learn how to communicate with the other kids and process their aggression in healthy ways and understand that there's healthy anger and unhealthy anger and helps the girl be strong and the boy be be tender. So much can change so that we don't even need those first responders. We don't need as much later on dealing with the aftermath of wounded kids So, we're going to need everybody. But if we said, Thank you for your service to a teacher, let's say every time you saw a teacher, you you did what you did with a soldier in the airport, you're a teacher, you're a third grade teacher, thank you for your service. I can tell you more people would start becoming teachers and really Mm -hmm. interesting kinds of people. And uh, likewise, nurses and hospice leaders and and we'd 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 widen what we call the hero.
0: We're talking with author Elizabeth Lesser, who wrote a book which I loved. It's my favorite book this year, Cassandra Speaks. When women are the storytellers, the human story changes. Um, you also talk in your book a little bit about the imposter syndrome, which kind of goes along with what we're talking about, how uh because of all the conditioning, I guess sometimes women doubt themselves. Tell tell us about that.
1: Well, a lot of research has been done in 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 the business arena, in the military arena, academia, on this thing called the imposter syndrome, and men have it too. It's not just women who go into a new job and you're like, oh my god, I'm going to be fine. Found out, I don't know why they hired me. I'm going to be found out to be a fraud. This this feeling of of fraudulence, even though your resume disproves your lack of confidence women seem to have it more and it's understandable because we've been told all the way back to eve that there's something kind of wrong and off and we better not act like ourselves we better act like what we're supposed to act all of that the shame the pretending is this little toxic brew that's called imposter syndrome and you would be surprised how many powerful people, I'm going to say women now, how have it. And that's one thing that has helped me get over mine. Um, I've made a point of listening to people from Michelle Obama- to Dr. Maya Angelou and people top, top in their field. And they say, I still get really nervous. I still don't understand how I got here. I'm still thinking, Dr. Angelou would say with the publication of every book, I think she had 86 books or something. Oh, now they're gonna find out. Now they're gonna find out who I am. There's something comforting to me when I find out everybody has it. So I'm not just such a weirdo freak that after all these years, I still don't trust myself. So it's good for a young person to understand you're not alone. This is a thing. It's not you. It's a thing. And so it helps me then to go back and try to see myself accurately, as opposed to these old shameful stories I have about myself and seeing yourself accurately is hard wouldn't you agree yeah <laughs> instead of for,
0: yeah and for the girls that I work with uh, being able to talk about themselves in any positive way because or if you they, you know you know this if, if you acknowledge girls or this is true for women too I think if you acknowledge them you get a lot of oh no not really or they brush it off they don't really take it in because a good girl wouldn't do that that's bragging it's not but right. I, mean, I think that's the conditioning they've they've been absorbing
1: and I'm sure you've noticed how so often women preface anything with an apology. Yeah. So you're in a meeting, you're in school, and you're the one called on, and you know you have the answer, or you think you have a good opinion, and you preface it with, "Now I know not everybody's going to agree with me, and maybe so-and-so has a better idea, but I've sort of been thinking by the time you get to it, you've you've decimated your your power stance. And this doesn't mean like you should become like an aggressive asshole, but like to stand in your validity. And because you have an opinion and a thought based in all the study you've done and just being a human, that needs to be said as much as anyone else's. An- another thing that I've taken upon myself now to help deal with the general imposter syndrome in women and girls is when I hear uh I'm I'm using the word meeting because I belong to an organization so I'm in meetings a lot but this is the same for a classroom um when I hear a woman begin to kind of sputter like that apologetically or let's say uh she gets interrupted by a more um, aggressive, or self-confident person, often a man, I will interrupt. I'll take it upon myself now that I've done a lot of work on my own imposter syndrome and just say, hold up. We didn't hear from, from Jessica. Could you give Jessica a chance? I think we women have to support each other Girls and women, we have to support each other. When we hear somebody saying like it wasn't so great, I could have done, you could have done it. Just to say, wait a minute, Jessica, you're amazing. What I saw you do was so great, right, everybody? So we can be bolstering each other's sense of accomplishment.
0: Yeah, I think in my in my retreats and summer camps, we do circle time. So, like in, in my camp next week, we'll have. I have 27 high school girls in my circle sitting on the carpet. And one of the best gifts that I get from that uh, every morning, uh, part of it is just being able to tell your story, but also it's about, wow, other people also have experienced some of these same feelings and some of these same things. I'm I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one who's been silenced. I'm not the only one who doubts themselves. I'm not the only one who has the imposter syndrome, whatever. I think that sense of I'm not the only one, maybe I'm not crazy, is huge.
1: It's it's kind of like uh, if it's a hundred mile walk, you've it's kind of the first ninety miles. It's really amazing to get the support of other humans and know you're not alone and you're not crazy. You know the gaslighting that phrase, which we throw around a lot, which means as you're Everyone listening probably knows where you you think you're saying something true, but you're being kind of doubted so much that you begin to doubt yourself. Like that is so deep in girls and women, mm. and so the really one of the only way to get out of the gaslighting is for us to support each other and say, "No, you're not crazy. You're not hysterical, and you're." you're you're a valid person say your truth
0: yeah you know i i wanted to have you comment on something i see a lot in girls with you know they if i ask them um we'll put a list of feelings on the board and i'll make a circle around feelings like angry annoyed frustrated you know like the anger family of feelings and i'll say are those the bad feelings and i go oh yes i'm like no they're not bad feelings they're just feelings because what i see happening a lot with girls in the schools i work in and also camps and things is is that girls have been taught to repress their anger and Mm -hmm. it's not good and and if you look at the old stories the the angry women were the mean stepmothers and the witches and the hags and the whatever so there's this whole thing that's that that doesn't allow them just to have that emotion and then it gets repressed and it it festers and then it leaks out as all kinds of drama
1: that's right all kinds of drama for sure and you know boys also aren't told how to deal with anger it's it's more just like punch it out you know, none of us are schooled in emotional intelligence. And emotions include anger and rage and sorrow and grief and shame, all of the darker. They're not bad. They're dark material with a lot to tell us about ourselves and the world. So anger, you might have a Excellent reason to be angry. You, you you need to look at it and ask yourself, what am I angry at? Why am I anger, angry? Is there a way for me to diffuse the anger through communication? Do I need to walk away from this situation before I like get all dramatic and hurt somebody's feelings? This is this has taken me most of my adult life through therapy to learn to get over the idea that girls need to always be nice kind and give somebody else the platform to do their thing and then that's just the first step what do i do when when i begin to allow myself to be angry to be sad to have grief now what do i do yeah it's I I think therapy and the kind of things that you do with girls in your camps and your podcast, it's just will save the world.
0: Yeah, we give girls a chance to practice setting boundaries at camp sometimes. And we'll give them a situation like something where somebody's crossing their boundary in some way. And then we uh, will have them play out or we'll show them. Uh, one example is being like passive. One is being aggressive and one is being assertive and even when we if we show them the assertive example first a lot of the girls most of the girls think they're being mean because that's what they've been told just being you having your anger just setting a kind but firm clear boundary to them is mean that's the i mean it's it's that you know the
1: work of renee brown Mm -hmm. um and renee has a very short saying that i actually have on my bulletin board over there clear is kind Mm -hmm. and unclear is unkind and girls have been uh brainwashed into thinking even being clear is mean clear as in setting a boundary clear as in saying like cassandra did no i don't want to have sex with you and so she was punished because she gave a clear boundary,
0: yeah.
1: And Eve gave a clear indication of what she wanted. She made her desire known. W- women aren't supposed to make their desires known. Have boundaries. Have negative feelings. This is all. So, um, if we want to be leaders, if we want to change our hurting world. If we want to liberate each other, we got to have boundaries. we got to know how to be clear. And we have to think that we have what it takes to lead, even if we do power differently.
0: Yeah. We've been talking with Elizabeth Lesser, who is the author of a book called Cassandra Speaks, When Women Are the Storytellers, the Human Story Changes. I have one more question for you. Um, You say at the end of your book, something to the effect of... um, You started making lists, not just of books you had read, but books that have have changed your life or the books that have affected you the most. Um, Can you talk about that for, for a moment, the value of that?
1: Well, I read an article in The Wall Street Journal, I think, just yesterday, maybe, about how books, even though there's so much other media now, from TikTok to movies to television, books are still so important, or we wouldn't be banning them. Yeah. We're banning books these days, but we're not banning movies. You know, yeah. So books, there's something about the form of a book. You're all alone. You're with this work. You're reading it quietly at your own time. I think it must get under our skin deeper than any other media at least it does for me. And I I quote a lot of books in Cassandra Speaks. And one of the, the people I quote a lot is Toni Morrison. Mm. Um, and what I love about what Toni Morrison did is a lot what you and I've been talking about now. She decided she was going to tell a story that no one had told before. Now you have to remember, this was like in the 1960s and 70s when she started writing. She was gonna have her protagonists all be black people in their black community, being humans together, filling out all the roles, as opposed to the way our culture had thought about black people. And it was so new. Nobody had done this, believe it or not. She was going to only tell that story and of course she became one of our greatest writers nobel prize winning pulitzer prize winning writer because she told her story beautifully and well and come what may she 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 told a different story and to for you to work with your girls to tell them that their stories matter. Um, that's really wonderful.
0: Hmm. Yeah, thanks. Can I ask you one more question? Because I, I work with lots of young uh, women and girls who are in you know high school, college. And I think our educational system and also parents today is doing them a huge disservice and in, in, in some way condition them to believe that by the time they're 16 or 18, they should have their whole life figured out. They should know what college they're going to, what their major is, what's their calling, what they're supposed to be doing with their life. And they're so stressed out because not, you know, most of us didn't know. So so I'd like to have people like you who are doing so many wonderful things. Hopefully, I think this is true because you were, I think, trained as a teacher. You were a midwife. You were a childbirth educator. You You've done a whole bunch of things. And I'm guessing when you were 16 or 18, you did not know you'd be doing what you're doing today.
1: I was so lost at 16 and 18. I, I look back and I, not only did I not know what I'd be doing today, I barely could envision myself ever being happy, you know, mm. like it's such a difficult time. And then to layer on top of that, having to need to know your calling at that age. I, Whenever I talk to young women, Especially women in their 20s. I end I find myself talking a lot to women at that age group. And I say to them, my twenties were so hard. I do not look back with warm and fuzzy feelings to my 20s. And there's such a sense of relief because there's this feeling like I should be kicking it now. Yeah. I should be killing it and doing it well and having at the same time having a great time, but also maybe starting a family it was like, oh. Ah! It's a time when you're molding yourself. If you're confused, good. You're supposed to be confused. Confusion just means you've got a lot of options and you don't know yet what to do. And so, yeah, letting high school girls and college age girls and beyond know, patience, take your time. You got lots of time. Yeah. I also, and then yeah. a job and lo and behold, like I was a midwife, uh, I delivered babies and taught childbirth all through my 20s, early 30s. Then I decided I can't do this anymore. I have other desires. I started having a family. It was too much. I had to walk away from it, totally do something else. So this is the way people live in the 21st century. Nobody just is one thing for the rest of their life.
0: It, I, I tell girls all the time: interview all the adults you bump into, and ask yeah. them, "What was your story? How did you get to where you are?" Yeah. And I I'd say, I tell them probably ninety-five percent, other than maybe teachers. A lot of teachers say, "I always wanted to be a teacher." My daughter's a teacher. She was teaching her dolls when she was five. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, most people had no no clue, and they just sort of zigzag their way to to their thing, but they're not hearing that. But the hearing is you should know. And it's causing a lot of undue pressure I and stress.
1: Agree. I agree. I think that's a really good prompt. Go talk to somebody who you think has it all together and ask them how they got there.
0: Including your all, mom and dad.
1: First of all, they'll say, I don't have it all together. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm still really confused. Welcome yeah. to be a human.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the. On, uh, on Raising Daughters. I really appreciate it. I, I loved your book. It's called Cassandra Speaks. Uh, when women are the storytellers, the human story changes. Um, there's, it's, it's a fun read. There's, I love stories. There's tons of stories in there um, and also great insight into uh, what's going on for, what has gone on, what's going on for girls and women with lots of good ideas about what we can do to kind of transcend this old model. So thanks so much for the book and thanks so much for, for all your information.
1: Thank you for having me, and thank you for your work.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Elizabeth Lesser. I can't, I can't recommend her book highly enough. It's so fun, so interesting, so much insight in that book about our past, our stories, and how it has, how it has affected us up till now. And if you're someone thinking this is just another feminist book, it's not that flavor. It's just not. So you know, drop that that uh, stereotype knowledge and just read it and, and enjoy the lessons she has in the book. I will have uh, a few links about Elizabeth Lesser, including her website. Her website is, is just ww.elisabethlesser. That's L-E-S-S-E-R dot I'll post that link on my website so you have that in case you want to look up. She has three or four other books, as well as Cassandra Speaks. Uh pass this one on. This is this was an interesting conversation with Elizabeth Lesser. Um, I appreciate you doing that for me. Uh, again, I mentioned this, I think, last time. If anybody is interested in, in being a sponsor for the show, uh, email my wife at anne, A-N-N-E, at drtimjordan.com. I'm interested in, in finding a good sponsor. Otherwise, I'll be back here in a week, and I'll see you then. Thanks so much for stopping by.